Hi everyone, this is Huiz. Welcome back to another episode of Potluck Club. So my guest this week is Ming Kuang, one of the social artist duo behind this Connect Dot today, a platform raising awareness on mental health and suicide prevention through art and conscious conversations. Their works document raw and raw and honest conversations, creating a space for people to be vulnerable and open about their personal experiences with mental health. Their first exhibition was last December at DEC, and they are currently running their second multimedia show till the end of January. As a collective, they believe that art is an effective medium that can help us make sense of complex emotional struggles. And I've personally been to one of the first shows, and it was really moving and has touched me in so many different ways. So honestly, I walked out of the space with so much to digest. So I'm really looking forward to today's conversation. Hi, Ming Guang. Hello. <laughs> How are you today? I'm excellent. <laughs> Just running back, you know, front and front, um, you know, through and through, you know, from meetings after meetings. Mm-hmm. How has the year been? Excellent. Really? <laughs> Seriously. Okay. Um, just got a shock, you know, that 20 days of January has passed already. It's yeah, almost Chinese New Year. Like, oh my God. I, I, I felt like New Year's was just yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> it feels like just yesterday. I, I don't know, is it because of my hectic schedule? Mm. Because we were just running exhibition. We were on the ground almost every single day. It started in January, right? No, we started in 17 December. Oh, so it was across the year. Correct. And during um New Year Eve, you know, we were still open New Year. We were just open down there on the ground, you know, every single day. Right. Do you think that has caused time to move faster? But I do think January moved quite quickly. You do? I, I do think so. What are you doing in your life? I've just been so busy. <laughs> no idea. Maybe it's all relative. What are you busy with? Work. A lot of work. SGCR, uh, recording podcasts like this. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> okay, can you introduce yourself to people who don't know who you are? Who is Ming Kuang? All right. So my name is Ming Kuang. And, you know, for some of you guys, you can call me MK. Um, I do many things. I wear many hats. Um, but today I'm really here in my own personal capacity. Um as a representation, sorry, as a representative, you know, of Disconnect. So me and my partner in crime, Queen, you know, we start, you know, our collective, you know, as a social artist, you know, we are named, you know, Hani and Lami. Mm. So we actually started, you know, Disconnect as a platform, you know, officially, you know, kind of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so Disconnect is really a platform where we want to raise awareness of mental health. And we want to really spark more um, conscious and more forwarding conversations. And, you know, we're trying to push for more integrative actions where mental health, um, emotional wellness, and also suicide prevention, Mm. where it is being involved. Mm. So, you know, we do it through art and conscious conversations. Um, Yeah. Mm. Because I feel like every, a lot of things you've done, like Mm. what you've shared, right? Um, Mm. You really wear a lot of hats. You dabble into quite a lot of different things, and some of them are quite spiritual in its own way. Like, I'm just curious, what were you like as a child? <laughs> Before the trauma happened, or after the trauma that happened? Whenever you're comfortable. Well, 
if I were to look at myself as a child, I think, you know, when I was five years old, you know, there was a moment in my life where I started wondering, you know, what's more to life, you know, beyond just the mundane. Now, I remember that at five years old, this particular memory where I was seated down in this, you know, red sofa, mm. child sofa, la, where I was occupying and I was just looking outside, you know, the door mm. and looking to the sky. As I was looking to the sky, I started hearing, you know, the cars, you know, it was about 6.37 p.m. You know, the cars were just passing. 7 p.m. Correct. You remember it's so Correct. Wow. Because the, the, I had a silver clock, you know, which was a tiger clock. Okay. And then, you know, I remember the, you know, it was that moment. Right. And, you know, the, the passers-by were just, you know, moving on the streets. You know, the car was just, you know, moving. Mm. You know, people were just, you know, going through the daily hustle and bustle of life. In that moment, I don't know how, you know, I really don't know how. But for fire, okay, you know, I thought of something. Mm. Is there more to life beyond this mundane hustle and bustle? True story. Wow. A five-year-old and you really feel like Correct. it's very mundane. But of course, the language as a five-year-old kid, you know, wasn't like, you know, sure. what's hustle and bustle? But, you know, I was asking myself, is there more to life? Was there more to life? For example, you know, I'm talking about miracles. Beyond just, you know, the ordinary path, you know, is there anything beyond that? Mm. So I guess that question kind of stayed with me for a very long time. Right. And... It eventualized into what you're doing now. Not okay, yeah. <laughs> Not exactly. It's, it wasn't really a straight path, you know. For example, you know, I was a dropout in school as well. Um, you know, that there, there was many twists and turns in my path as well. Um, but it's not because, you know, I wasn't good at what I was doing, but it was because I wanted to live true to myself. Mm. So I'll give you an example, you know, back in university, the first degree that I was doing was engineering. Okay. I was doing mechanical engineering, you know, because, you know, my teachers and my parents, you know, expected me to be an engineer because I was good with physics and math. Right. So, you know, I kind of followed through. In fact, you know, when I was in day two of university, you know what? There was a misalignment. Actually, I knew that something was there already. Okay. I knew that this wasn't what I wanted. Mm. You know, I felt like I was out of place. Like, you know, I knew that this wasn't my calling, this wasn't my path. But I was really just that because, you know what, my teachers and my parents expected me to do that. Mm. And at that point in time, I remember, you know, I was so afraid that it would be a moment of impulse. You know, that, that kind of moment. Yeah. So I told myself, you know, I will give myself a year. But, you know, one year later, you know, this misalignment still persists. And you know what? One day, you know, I woke up from the bunk, you know, sorry, not bunk, hostel, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I went to U-Town, you know, I went to the office of yeah. administration, you know, for some reason, I felt that that day was the right time. I just went to there, signed the dropout form and that was it. Right. No, I didn't expect or plan myself to actually drop out. Right. So I guess, you know, when that happened, you know, a lot of my, you know, peers, my teachers, you know, um, my friends, you know, in university, you know, even my parents, they got shocked. No one expected. No one no saw one, it coming. No, even I myself didn't expect it either. Wow. So it was just, you know, really on the board. But, you know, I really knew it, that right. it wasn't my thing. But, you know, I didn't trust myself enough. So I gave myself one year. Mm. But, you know, one year later, the misalignment was still there. I knew I had to do what was necessary. Mm. Because if I didn't live true to who I was, and then I was, you know, asking somebody else to live true to themselves. Because, you know, my background is I'm a life coach um, as well. Mm. I'm also, I run a lot of humanitarian campaigns on the ground, mm. you know, to get people to reconnect to what truly matters to them. Okay. And if I myself are not living my own path, I mean, who the fuck am Hypocrisy. I, you know? <laughs> yeah, and it's really just that. Mm. It's really just that. And you know what? Um... It's really about honouring, you know, what you're teaching to other people, honouring the things that you say to yourself. I told myself one year. Mm. So at the one year, I really make that choice. And it was a very unconscious behaviour. Right. Almost like intuition. Yeah. Would you say? Mm. Mm. I see. Actually, now that I understand the system a little bit better, it's actually not intuition. It's just at the back of the intellectual mind. 
Okay. Correct. Correct. So, you know, I did that. Then, you know, subsequently, you know, without any powerful plan, I went to do architecture mm. um, because I was interested to see whether is it possible to combine consciousness, mm. you know, zenness, consciousness, you know, into building spaces such that it's able to be a tool, you know, to awaken life. Right. Whoever, you know, who stepped into that space, you know, despite chasing up the rat race. So that was one of the theories that I had. And I would jump into architecture because I wanted to formulate to see whether that is possible or not. And that was that. Mm. Just by that one question that I was trying to figure it out, I jumped into architecture. Okay. And that, you would say, was the start of your journey or was it even way No, back? my start of journey was even way back. Because five years old, right? And then what happened in between? Okay, so <laughs> 18 years old. Um, mm. I think 18 years old, you know, I was in the army at the point of time. Things were great. You know, I was in a leadership position. You know, I remember that we were in the leadership position um, running the back end, you know, on National Day Parade. So, you know, there were a lot of opportunities that was given to me, you know, during my time that was there. Things were good. Now, one of the things was I was also offered a lucrative five-year contract as a Navy officer. Mm. You yeah. know, that was early on back then, you know, at the start of the army. So, you know, things were good, you know, um, university fees, you know, fully sponsored. Um, not too bad monthly pay. La. So for somebody who is 18 years old, when you look at those money, you know, it's really great. You know, I thought that, you know, hey, I will be able to go to law school with that money. Yeah. So there was that. Yeah. Um, but you know what? On the day when I'm supposed to sign the contract and the interview, you know what? I had COVID. What happened? No. You just... Felt, no. Uh. I didn't know what to do. Right. No. That moment was very, very major for me. Mm. Because my entire life, I always thought that I'm very sure of who I was. Okay. Because my entire life was all about chasing after results, 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 after results. Okay. <laughs> Whether it was in school, academics, or in leadership. Yeah. But for the first time in my life, you know, I wasn't sure about myself. Mm. That kind of shaken me very drastically. Mm-hmm. Now, the more I sat through it, the more restless I became it didn't make any sense mm. because I'm supposed to be myself but yet I did not know who I was. Mm. It was such a fucking paradox. So that was when, you know, something wasn't right. right. All right? Something wasn't right. Mm. And as I dig deeper, something wasn't even more right. Mm. So I've been chasing after all these results, you know, yet I noticed that the happiness that I have never ever lasted for more than five minutes. And then five minutes later, I'll continue to chase again and again and again and again and again, even though I don't know what is it all for. Mm. That's a very introspective moment. 18 years old. Yeah, 18 exactly years for an 18-year-old. You know what's the best part? I look at my peers. Yeah. Everyone's just having fun, no? Yeah, they were all parting happily. Yeah. <laughs> they were all parting happily. You know, I was like wondering, is there something wrong with me fundamentally? Yeah, I mean, if you think about if there's more to life at five and at 18, you're thinking about who is the true self. That is quite... Like, you got generally quite in touch with how you're feeling then. Okay, but the truth is this. Yeah. Okay, that's another set of truth. Okay. Something happened along the way from five years old to eight. Okay, okay, you need to have us the map. Okay, okay, got it. So, um, yeah, so, you know, okay, so in the bunk, you know, there was this fan that looks like any ordinary secondary school classroom fan. Mm. You know, it's the white fan with the red dot. Now, no matter how fast or how slow the fan was moving, the red dot was always constant. Now, remember, you know, it was one night after a long night of leadership, you know, in the army, you know, we went back to the bunk. Now, I remember I lay down on the bed, you know, I look up. Now, I noticed something. I had an epiphany in that moment. Now, no matter how fast the fan moved or no matter how slow the fan moved, the radar remained constant. Mm-hmm. And that radar represents me. Right. No matter how fast or how slow the drift of life is, if I know the call of who I was, my true self, you know what? 
I'm in control. You're basically anchored. Correct. Mm-hmm. So I just had this epiphany that I realized, oh fuck. So the real thing is I did not know who I really was. I don't know the core of who I was. I only know who I am in this mask. Mm. In the mask where I had to perform, you know, as a performer, mm-hmm. you know, to deliver results, all that. But, you know, beyond that, I don't really know who I was. Mm. So, you know, I remember at the point of time, you know, I tried reading a lot of books, even though I had mild dyslexia. Mm. So, read about 300 plus books, you know, on self-help, you know, on psychology, on medicine, um, on finance as well, you know, right. thinking that I'll be able to find some answers from there. But I realized that a lot of the authors, you know, not to offend anybody, especially writers, you know, but a lot of people, you know, doesn't really know what they're talking about. In what sense? Um, so a lot of books, you know, I mean, not all the books, but a lot of the books, especially, you know, in the modern times today, you know, um, you know, people are talking really about subjective truth. Mm. We're talking about our own subjective experiences. Yeah. But what I was really looking for as, you know, someone at, at that point of time, you know, I was looking for first principles. Right. So my mom always say this, lah, if you truly understand something, you must understand something to the fundamental level. That was how I was trained, you know, at home. Also, how I was trained in physics class as well. Mm-hmm. So I kind of dissect a lot of the theories, you know, a lot of the compositions that you know people write in books, and I realized that a lot of the principles that they are talking about was not complete to begin with. Mm-hmm. So while they ac- accumulate, you know, certain gains in their life, um, a lot of the principles are not perfect, or rather, it was incomplete. Mm. And, you know, of course, there are a group of people who doesn't really know what they're talking about. Uh. They're just talking about their life experiences, all the high, but yeah. they are missing all the lows, you know, of whatever that's missing. So there was a lot of things that was missing. Right. So I realized I couldn't really find answers from the books. I mean, I tried reading eating all that, you know, I couldn't even understand a single shit. Okay, explain what eating is. Eating is one... Huh? <laughs> to non-Chinese speaking people. All right, Ching is one of the ancient books uh, mm. written, you know, a long, long time ago. So it has a lot of philosophy, a lot of principles of life. Right. Let's just keep it there because I myself haven't fully understood everything. Okay. I've really struggled through, you know. But that book suddenly just appeared in front of me and I just grabbed it. Okay. So that was that. Um, so I couldn't find the answers from books. And I thought that, you know, you know, at the point of time, I was kind of naive. Uh, I mean, you know, your entire life is chasing after results, after results, after results, you know. So the whole mindset is really about, you know, I need to be rich. Mm. I need to have success. I need to be successful. Mm. I need to have certain, you know, amount of success, you know, gains, business, you know, that kind of stuff so that I'm kind of worthy enough. So I thought that, you know, people at that level have all the answers to life. Right. Is it really funny? Like Nirvana. <laughs> like you've enlightened and you, you're just woke. No, no, not yet, not yet. No, okay. Not yet. At that point of time, not yet. Yeah. So, I thought that CEOs in this in this world, you know, ha- must have the answers I to life see. because like, they're so successful, they're okay. so brilliant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, you if you watch Hollywood, Hollywood, you know, movies, you know, Korean movies, Japan movies, all that, from the truth, it's man. always you know <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I remember at the point of time, you know, I started a business with you know I, I was involved in a business you know, with a couple of secondary school friends, and you know the real reason for why I was involved in it, it was simple. I wanted to connect to CEOs at that level so that I can ask them this question. What's the purpose of life? What's the purpose of your life? What's the meaning of all life itself? Okay. What sort of responses do you get? So I remember, you know, all right, there was this guy. Yeah. So I can't really name who. You like. don't have to, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, it's PNC, yeah, you know, yeah. the sensitive information. Um, I remember we were having, you know, hot pot and boogies, you know. It was around 9.30 p.m. ish, you know. That was back when I was still 18, mm-hmm. all right? Now I waited for the right moment. We're having hot water. 
but obviously I wasn't eating hot pot. You know, I was just waiting for the right moment to drop him this question. I asked him this when the moment came. What's the meaning of life? Mm-hmm. Make a guess. What do you oh, think? Oh, I thought that was life? the answer. I don't know. Being able to support your family, making money, living a stable life. I don't know. What, what does the CEO think? So far from that. No, no. Different CEOs think differently. Okay. I, I mean, not all CEOs, you know, have this kind of shit. Okay. So different people, we are all dealing with different battles sure, or sure. that. So, you know, no discrimination, you know, we're all different fighting different fires. Sure. So I asked him that question, you know, his response back to me was this, which translates to, why doesn't my daughter listen to me? Why does my daughter not listen mm. to me at home? And to him, that is the purpose of life. No, I got stunned. No. Really? 18-year-old me thought that, you know, if you are successful at that level, you must have everything already. An answer. Yeah. Yeah. And I could not connect the dots. You know, he, I was asking him what was the meaning of life and he was telling me why is my daughter not listening to me at home? Okay. I couldn't connect the dots until five minutes later. Uh-huh. Everything makes sense. You know, he was telling me, you know, that, you know, while he was doing so well in his career, He's not even getting that kind of bits of love that he was hoping to get from the family when everything that he was doing was for his family. Right. He did everything. He built his empire. He built his fortune so that he can give his family a better life. Mm. But at what cost? He couldn't even see his daughter growing up at home. Mm. His relationship with his wife, you know, for lack of better word, has become dysfunctional. Mm. There wasn't any more love. Mm-hmm. Mm. and then what is all this for so essentially you're saying he doesn't have the answer to that you were telling me that exactly mm. you got it have we had this conversation no, before no we have not <laughs> but I guess I mean he sounds lost himself so I suppose and there was that you know I was like oh my fucking god you're telling me after everything that I did this is not it mm. I mean I needed to find the answers before I go to university because otherwise I will be trapped in this vicious cycle of chasing after results, after results, after results. I go into university, I chase results and I get to first class honours, then what's next? What? I go to the corporate, I, ch- I play the game, you know, climb the ladder and then what's next? What's next after I hit to the peak of the game? Mm. There was literally two options that presented to me. Mm-hmm. I will either lose everything because I never had anything in the first place. Mm-hmm. Or I had to give up everything and to look for new things to chase again. Like a vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. And it was never ending, you know. So I realized in that moment, you know, I realized that, you know what? I gonna, first thing, I'm going to find the answers for f- whatever reason, you know, no matter what it takes. Okay. That's one. The second thing is I needed to find the answers before university, before this vicious cycle continued to run again. Because I did saw that coming. I don't know how the hell I saw it. I just saw it. Mm-hmm. Then there was a third thing. Now, with that understanding, I realized that, you know, the material world game is nothing more but a subset of the immaterial world game. Because our reality, external reality, is nothing more but a manifestation of who we are inside of us. Mm-hmm. So if I really want to find the answers, I should work on the internal game. Mm-hmm. So that was when, you know, I started really looking for answers. And, you know, that was how I started looking for, you know, masters and, you know, teachers, you know, to train under, you know. Um, you know, I really met a lot of people, you know, who pointed me into certain direction. Mm. And long story short, I did find the answers when I came across, you know, one of the life coaching transformational program. Right. And of course, you know, I kind of worked really hard. Uh, and among that, you know, I did many other things as well. Mm. So I did get a glimpse of, you know, how self-actualization looks like. Mm. 
which you know to many people you know you know many people might think that it's possible because you know we're conditioned in a certain way mm. but what if it can be possible if we let go of our past mm-hmm. now whatever happened in the past did happen we can't change it we can't erase it mm. and you know I'm not going to criticize certain you know art or therapy like, but per se but you know to deny the past is really about cutting a part of yourself which is not the game that we are after we're trying to go after the game of how do we become whole and complete again and that comes from you reconciling with the things that hurt you once upon a time now people always say that time heals all wounds but is that really true? because if time really heals all wounds how come we are still affected by the things that hurt us once upon a time? Mm -hmm. how come we are still hurt by our father you know who shouted at us when we were 7 years old? how come every time you meet an angry man you know you would think of your father and you would start projecting your father onto him Mm. even though you don't know him at all? explain see you know we carry this tinted lenses this filter as we look at this world but what if I'm telling you that you know we don't see the world for what the world is we see the world for who we are and what we are and that's the reason why we end up creating endless misunderstandings between human beings Mm. I mean think about it this way why do two people get into arguments misunderstanding projection okay let's look at it at a very fundamental level yeah, this feels like therapy yes let's go go let's go fundamental level why do two people get into arguments why do two people get into arguments logic let's look at logic miscommunication what if I'm telling you it's even simpler than that mm. it's because of ego they were merely just defending whatever they think is right mm-hmm. and as a result of that you know they are not open to seeing each other's word and that's that but you know people use a lot of justification they run the defenses you know to justify you know what oh this person doesn't love me anymore you know this person doesn't understand me you know this person is not my friend just because he has different opinions than me you know a lot of that kind of stuff Mm. you know not very forwarding Mm. alright you know because you know I mean that's how most people get get into relational issues doesn't mean romantic you know but also you know social circle you know family you know because we are not able to reconcile the fact that you know we have differences Mm -hmm. fundamentally we have to recognize that we are all different unique human beings therefore there must be differences to begin with to assume that somebody must be like you or think like you or feel like you you know I think that's crazy Mm. it's almost impossible even if you have a twin it's almost impossible you know yeah biologically impossible too biologically spiritually impossible yeah. too but you know there must be certain way to align a person so mm. that's when negotiation happens mm. let me think where was I <laughs> um, so you know mm. yeah you were saying no because I feel like you're, in your entire life you've gone through a lot of internal experiences right in, in, in your task of finding the answer right so and I'm sure you've gotten some answers right now or you have a better understanding of what how the way you understand the world or the way you understand how things work or how humans work, right? Like how do you, because a lot of the work you do revolves around mental health, right? Yeah. How do you think that informs or influences your, the lens that you put on it versus what is the general understanding in public? Is there, is there a loaded question? There? It's not a loaded question, you know. It's that, you know, there's so many angles to this which makes it very, very tricky. Mm. Now, I want, I want to make a disclaimer that, you know, whatever that I'm going to speak down here, you know, it's not coming from, you know, a doctor's point. 
I'm not, I'm not coming from a professional point as well. Mm. So whatever that I see is really my interactions you know, with different people. And when I say different people, I'm talking about more than thousands of people that I've worked with on the personal level. Sure. And some of these people include you know, doctors, psychotherapists, therapists, social workers, counsellors as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we want to look into mental health, I think, you know, one of the things that we need to do is to have a distinction and to have the... To be able to distinguish, you know, what is the difference between mental health, mental illness, mental wellness. Mm. Now, this days, you know, okay, I'm, I'm just thinking about a conversation that I had with a particular person who runs a certain organization just yesterday, you know. Um, you know, she claims that, you know, she has mental health issues. She has depression. So I asked her a very simple question. Are you clinically mm. diagnosed to be depressed? Yeah. Her answer was no. Mm. So I'm going to I asked the next question, you know, then how do you know that you're depressed? Yeah. Now, her reply was really, really funny because I feel like I'm depressed. I see. Mm. Now, there is a real, de- I think there's really, really a real misunderstanding of what really depression is. I mean, we don't talk, let's not talk about high functioning depression or that yet. Let's talk about the basic core of things. You know, think more this way. Without disappointment, without the low points of your life, how would you even appreciate the high points of your life? Mm-hmm. Without disappointment and sadness, how would you truly appreciate what happiness really is? Mm-hmm. Life is a constant flux. Mm-hmm. So if there's high peak, there must be low peak as well. And the question is, you know, it is part of the life. If everything is always on the high, guess what? There will be the new equilibrium point and there will be a constant, which means you no longer can feel happy. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, that's the thing about what most people are chasing for. Most people are chasing for happiness. But deeper down to the core, they are really what they're really looking for is these two things, fulfillment and joy. Mm-hmm. Which is different from happiness. Are you still with me? Yeah, yeah, I'm listening. Got it. Yeah. So do you think then her pers- perception that she has depression is because there isn't enough education around it? I feel so too. Mm. I mean, you know, think about it this way. Nobody ever taught us in schools, you know, what depression really is, what mental health really is, you know, or mental illness yeah. really is. You know, even so, you know, once a year, you know, you will get programs where, you know, people just talk about it in the hall, you know, and that's about that. So there's a lot of misconception. There's a lot of lack of understanding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these days, you know, I think, you know, COVID-19 is really, really an opportunity for people to realize it. Mm. Um, Not that mental health hasn't been an issue or this way. In fact, it has been ongoing. Think more this way. As long as we are human beings, we have an intellectual body, we have an emotional body, we also have a physical body. So either ways, you know, mental health is always an issue. Mm -hmm. Or rather, it's something that we have to look into. But, you know, with COVID, you know, it creates a different kind of circumstances. Now, for most people, you know, when shit happens, you know, we tend to look always for answers. Mm-hmm. We tend to point fingers. We tend to blame something. We tend to blame circumstances, all, all of that. So when you have a relationship issue, it must be your partner's problem. External locum of control. Correct. So barely do we really take responsibility and ownership that, hey, we are also causing something in this situation. We don't recognize our part. We don't play our part either. And because of that, you know, the the view towards the issue is always very narrow, it's very warped. So it kind of creates a problem because when COVID kind of happens, you know, you're kind of forced to look inwards in yourself because of lockdown. Now, 
even the breathing spaces between your work to your sorry your breathing spaces from your home to your work you know it's kind of you know collapse yeah so literally you're working in the same place where you sleep you play you eat mm. and worst of all you have to face your family if you haven't sorted out those issues yeah now, when I say issues, I'm not saying that everybody has this issue. I'm implying that, you know, there must be certain difficult emotions mm-hmm. that some people are facing with their family. And it's not so, you know, it's not so difficult to extrapolate that, you know, hey, you know, that's one of the reasons why domestic violence actually increases during the lockdown period. Yeah. You know, people are getting more depressed, you know, people are calling the hotlines. And these are the words, you know, from doctors and therapists and psychotherapists, social workers who told me this. Mm-hmm. Not only that, you know, people, you know, uh, you know, I mean, you know, there were a lot of suicides that took place as well. Yeah. I mean, it was in the news that, you know, social social violence, family violence, sorry, was on the rise during that period. Correct. And, one of, and one of those, you know, was this 14-year-old boy, you know, who stabbed his father. Mm. And I recently just found out that, you know, that father who died mm. happened to be one of my teacher's classmates back in secondary school. Mm. Two degrees of separation. <laughs> that was what I was telling. <sighs> Unfortunate. Correct. Yeah. So, but that happens, but it really shows you underlying there's really a lot of issues. Sure. And, you know, to be told, you know, most of us are very functional when it comes to the external world, but when it comes to the internal game, we don't have a map. Yeah. You see, think about it this way, we live in a system where, you know, most of the time we were trained to use our brain, I hope, mm-hmm. but no one really taught us how to feel. Our understanding of emotions are really, really very limited. I mean, we think that we're feeling happy, we think that we're feeling sad, we think that we're feeling angry. What if I'm telling you that emotions also have layers? No, for sure. The yeah. question is, you know, which layer of happiness are you experiencing in this moment? Which layer of anger are you feeling in this moment? Which layer of sadness are you experiencing in this moment? You know, sadness also have a range, you know, the yeah. deeper layer we're looking at grief, for example. So every single emotion have different layers. But, you know, we we are just that limited, you know, because, you know, the system that we're in doesn't really require us to use emotions. Well, I also think actually a big part is in our vocabulary, because we Singaporeans, I think we're not <laughs> we're not very very good with our English vocabulary or whatever language you speak in, right? So you don't really have the depth or the breadth of words to describe how you're exactly feeling. So that's why it's all being lumped together as I'm feeling sad, I'm feeling angry, but maybe you're feeling livid, you're feeling feeling like frustrated or whatever, something else than just general words to help you why don't I give you a better one mm. now is it possible to love and hate someone at the same time yes but a lot of people can't really distinguish that because they think that the opposite of love is actually hate no, but that's not true <laughs> the opposite of love is no love the opposite mm. of hate is no hate mm. which means that you can love someone and you hate someone at the same time you can love someone but you don't hate someone at the same time you can hate someone but you don't love someone at the same time you can don't love and don't hate someone at the same time yeah. They are mutually exclusive. Mm -hmm. And that's why as a kid, you know, we are very confused. Mm. You know, when something happens to us like a trauma, you know, in the past, you know, when it hits us, you know, we become very conflicted with all these difficult emotions. And especially these difficult emotions are conflicting one another. Mm. We don't have the space and capacity capacity to realize that they can coexist together within the psyche of ours. Yeah. So it is possible to love someone and hate someone at the same time. Sure. Just like, you know, how I could love my father and hate him at the same time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so one of re- one of the things that I came to realize was, you know, um, as I do more work onto myself, as I dug deeper, you know, you know, one of, th- I mean, just casually sharing, you know, 
because I thought you know it would be relevant to complete that part. Mm. Um, was that you know I realized that you know one of the th- reasons why I've been chasing after results, after results, after results my whole life was so that one day I was hoping that my dad would turn his head back to look at me and say I love you. Mm. Well, the day never really came, and I came to realize that you know when I was seven years old, after my younger brother was born. I felt that the love that my dad used to give me was all taken away, and as a kid, you know, I couldn't really reconcile with that. And of course, you know, my parents wasn't really aware of what I was dealing with because I kept everything to myself. So I remember that you know what, I realized I make a vow to myself in that moment that you know what, if I need my dad to love me, I have to be worthy enough. And for me to have be worthy enough, I need to have results in my life to prove that I'm worthy for his love. But for what? I chase after all these results is so that I can get the love that I never had when I was seven years old. So that's one of my truth. Mm. And right after I dealt with that emotional baggage, mm. you know, during the transformational program processes, you know. Wow, you know, I didn't know that I was carrying so much weight onto my shoulders. Mm. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, emotional baggage also manifested in physical form. So just by looking at a person's face, it's not too difficult to tell their entire life. Mm-hmm. You no know, stuff like that. So, you know, I dealt with those things, you know, and, you know, for the first time in my life, you know, I felt free. Very, very free. Now, today, I no longer chase after results, you know, for the sake of chasing. Mm. I'm able to have the capacity to chase after what really matters to me, what brings me fulfillment, and more importantly, being able to make an impact to other people mm. down here. Mm. And nobody expects me to do so. That's great. I can choose powerfully. That's great. That's a great story. So where does, where does this connect? come into place in this entire equation then? Well, I guess, you know, mental health, you know, um, emotional awareness has has been something very close to me and both Queen as well. Mm. Um, you know, Queen is somebody, you know, who has also done some work on to himself. Um, you know, our path kind of crossed, you know, long time back. Mm. Um, so that was one of it. But, um, so mental health has been very close with us. There has been always many plans, you know, to do something course, you know, I've been always on the ground, you know, running, you know, running humanitarian campaigns, you know, coaching campaigns and stuff like that. Mm. So I remember November, you know, after we established our social artist duo collective, you know, we were representing Singapore for a cultural showcase, you know, um, between Singapore and KL. So mm. we were in KL doing an exhibition. Um, I got a call that, you know, my friend's friend passed away through suicide. Right. I guess, you know, when that, when I heard that, you know, I knew there was an omen. I knew there was a sign that, you know what? It's time to stop thinking about all this plan. It's time to stop making all this plan. Let's make it real for real. Mm. And, you know, I just feeling, I just felt my guts, you know, were just telling me, you know, you know what you have to do. It's as though my entire was prepared for that moment. Mm. All the kind of training that I received, you know, was ready for that moment. So I told Queen, you know what? Let's go back to Singapore. And, you know, there we go. We went to Singapore back to Singapore, we started running different mental health organizations, you know, mental health professions, you know, together. And, you know, we were trying to put this, to actualize this, you know, into reality. So, things were kind of on track um, until COVID happens. So, you know... Um, Sorry, what is the this that you're speaking of? Like, did you guys already had a plan on what you wanted to do before. Well, we wanted to use, we wanted to create art in such a way to 
we wanted to use art as a way to reach out to the public and to really use that to influence people mm. into looking into themselves so that they can experience what they experience in their world to make sense of what mental health, emotional wellness and suicide prevention is. Right. So this Connect Trading Words is not just purely a multimedia art and mental health exhibition, but it's really, you know, there's a lot of campaigns going on. Mm. So part of this campaign is not just only for the people on the ground, but also for people at the higher level who are not really on the ground. Mm-hmm. So so that you know we can really co-create you know policies that really empowers people in the right direction. So besides that, you know, I also run you know mental health webinars, you know, with different mental health organizations on there as well. Intention is really simple. Mm. Want to get people to look into mental health as a subject itself from different angles, from different perspectives, from different professionals, so that we have a more diverse, more broader view. Instead of, you know, you know, in a nutshell, you know, really destigmatizing, you know, stigmas around mental health. Mental health is no longer just labor anymore. Mm. You know, yeah. I mean, most of us, when we have issues, we can't really, we're not free, you know, we're not open, you know, to speak our truth. We have to put on certain masks, we have to, you know, we have to hide in a certain way that we can't really allow healing to take place. I'm not saying that just by talking, you know, healing can take place. But, you know, part of it is really about acknowledging and recognize that, hey, there is really an issue and there's really not a lot of people that we can really turn to. Mm. You know, even, you know, for example, I got this news that, you know, if you want to go to IMH, you know, you know, to arrange, you know, to meet with the psychotherapist or therapist or stuff, you know, you need to wait for about two months, one to two months as a waiting queue. Wow. So there's a lot of, you know, things that really restrict. And, you know, I did talk to a lot of people, you know, in that industry. And, you know, a lot of people are just burnout, very burnout. Mm. And, you know, part of them leaving the public sector, you know, to start their own private practices is really for that. Mm. They wanted more opportunities to make a difference to people. Mm. And, you know, a lot of these consistent stories I hear as I was on the ground talking to people and I felt that there was so much more that can be done. Mm. But of course, you know, when lockdown happens, you know, things were kind of, you know, getting to our way. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to name names, but, you know, certain advocacy for suicide prevention, you know, kind of, you know, um, pull themselves out, you know, initially, you know, when they wanted to back our project. Yeah. So things didn't really go away. Um, but, you know, at that point in time, you know, it was really a turning point because I wasn't really sure as well. I was doubtful. And I was, you know, I, I wasn't 100% sure how we're going to put it through to stick through our intention. Mm. So, you know what, I just let all this, you know, emotional doubts, you know, kind of put away and just do whatever it was necessary. So long story short, you know, more organizations started coming on board as well. So that was where we received more fundings, you know, um, sponsorship with different equipments, you know, so that the show could happen mm. during September. Yeah. That was the preview exhibition that you attended. Yes, I um, did. In conjunction with World Suicide Prevention Awareness yeah. Month. Yeah. So you saw the works, you know, you experienced what you experienced. Those were real stuff. Yeah. Those were raw, unedited. It was really purely coming from a space where, you know, people allowing themselves to be open, to be vulnerable, yeah. even though they are all strangers. Yeah. So, all those artworks are very participatory. It is very instructional, mm. per se. So, for example, one of the works is I Feel You. So, for I Feel You, you know... Oh, that you was know, so powerful. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God, getting chills watching it. But yes, do explain what I Feel You is Okay, yeah. so, you know, I Feel You is really about how two strangers um, came together. Each of them is given 10 minutes to speak their personal truth. And, you know, when one person is talking, the other person is just there holding the space. Yeah. Now, they must not break their hand contact. Yeah. All right? 
and the other person is not allowed to speak anything when one person is talking and the only thing that they can really say is I feel you and then once 10 minutes is up I will hit the bell and then they will switch and you know that's just 20 minutes they only met for the 20 minutes of their life Mm. and they're all strangers who have never crossed paths so everything was kind of documented as per what it is Mm. Uh, you know very interestingly you know a lot of stories of you know losses pain angst um, even questions existential questions about life itself you know kept coming up as a consistency but of course this target age group you know I mean there wasn't a target age group you know we just put it out you know and these were the people who signed up for it Mm. and these people you know their age gap you know is between their age gap is between 19 all the way to 35 I think it's 37 or... The th- age group. Correct. Right? Age group, that was yeah. the age group for I Feel You. Mm. Yeah. So that was one of the works, you know. Um, the other works is Tipping Point. Um, Tipping Point is really, 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 really one of the complex films that, you know, I had to um, learn filmmaking from scratch, you know, and to really put it together. Mm. Uh, it was a very complex piece because it, it is a three-channel video installation. Now, you, a person is supposed to watch that three TV at the same time. Yeah. And each of these three TV represents a different thing. Now, the film, you know, if I were to share a little bit about what this film and what were my thought process is about, um, the film was designed in such a way that it tests people's personal experiences. It draws people's personal experiences towards life to make sense out of the film itself. So instead of me telling you what's the outcome of the film, what's my intention of the film, you experience the work and let whatever comes out, comes out. It could be a physical sensation, it could be an emotional release, you know, it could be thoughts, ideas, links that's connected to your past. I don't know. Yeah. So for a lot of um, doctors, you know, psychotherapists, therapists, you know, who came for the show, they sat down here, you know, they were supposed to sit down there for one hour uh, mm. for during their lunch break, but they end up sitting through for five hours. Because mm. it's such a reflective correct, space, right? Correct, correct. And what's interesting is, you know, how different, even though people were seated beside each other, their understanding is totally different. I remember there was this sports, um, sports, you know, trainer, you know, who was seated with his wife, fiancé then, um, you know, to watch the film, you know, their understanding was totally different. Mm. I remember when I finished watching it and I asked Queen if, what was the intention behind it? And he was like, it's up to you to interpret. I was like, damn, this artist not explaining their work. But I'm like, okay, I get it. It's I really, really that. complex. Yeah. To be honest, you know, if I tell you what that film is, you're going to have certain biasness projections mm. also. Yeah. So I realized that, you know, writing the description of the work is a terrible idea. So, you know, I say, fuck it. Let's not do that. Yeah. You know, let's just put the audience down there. The question is, are you present? Mm. Can you pull yourself out from your head and be present in the moment and feel what you do feel? Yeah and experience life for what it is. Mm. I'm glad you like it. I loved it. I loved it. I came out of that show immediately texting my friends like, wow, I just went through like a really heavy show and I had to get dessert. Pancakes. Pancakes to be specific. Because it was just, there was just an energy in the space that was very vulnerable. Because I felt like even for, for the first piece that you talked about, I Feel You, right? When you put two strangers together, strange together, a lot of them, yes, talked about loss. Um, that connection that you could just feel between them was quite palpable. Impalpable, palpable. Yeah, one of those words. And it, it, I guess it set me in a space where I started thinking a lot about my own experiences in a way. So it was introspective and heavy in that sense, which was in a good way. Like I felt like it was something that we had to Almost like emotional cleansing. <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah. think um, think about it this way: the space has to be safe enough too. Yeah. So exactly. you know, 
actually the works you know wouldn't have been possible without the spaces mm. so this space we actually put together the works you know based on the spaces in terms of experiences you know we want to design mm. so let's just say you know if I were to put IFU at the Masik Shop House which we actually did as a satellite venue yeah. the experience was totally different because you know the space was very bright it was mm. very large and very open very open so the experience was very different Yeah, as compared to some as another space which is very centric, you know, is very private, intimate. Yeah. It gives a different experience altogether. For sure. So in terms of the depth in people's understanding will also vary. Mm. So we work a lot of spaces. So that's where, you know, it's really multidisciplinary. It's yeah. not simple just, you know, oh, get a gallery, put it out there. No, it put doesn't really work. La. Yeah, for sure. Because yeah. I read somewhere that you're, because you're currently running a show in New Road, right? Correct, one New Road. Yeah, so somewhere in an article you mentioned Tashima Art Museum was your inspiration. Oh, you saw that article? That was the only recent, article. you know? Yeah, I read the article. Got it. Yeah. So that was during my architecture days, you know, where I was, you know, as I was mentioning, I was in a search, you know, for how do I integrate consciousness, you know, mm. with Zen spaces all together. And, you know, when I was in that space, you know, Tashima I was like, music. fuck, this was the thing that Ooh. I was looking for and what, why is it not architecture for? Yeah. Now, I do not know whether the art, the architect, you know, really consciously designed that, like, because I look at his password, you know, yeah. it's not as, you know, it doesn't yeah. have those elements. But, you know, this was a genre between an artist and an architect and they were really tapping into the natural elements of it. Mm. And that was even, you know, before my whole, you know, spiritual path, you know, where I went through different, you know, rite of passage and initiations. Yeah. You know, so, you know, when I saw that, you know, it was because I experienced something of that space before mm. in my transformational program days. Mm. So I knew exactly what that was. And what was interesting was watching this phenomenon of how eight different people, you know, there were Chinese people, you know, who were making a lot of noise you know, outside the museum. But some of the moment they stepped inside the museum, mm. you know, they just suddenly just split themselves apart. Mm, beautiful. And mm. it was, it was, you can't really explain it because it was so intuitive and so instinctive that they just move apart without any directive. Yeah. And two of them started crying without knowing why they were crying. Yeah. For so context. I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah. but I know exactly why, what is going on because, you know, if you're sensitive, you know, you can pick up those energies and yeah. all, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of an empath as well, so... Empath. Yeah. I've met a lot of empaths recently, strangely. But for context, for anyone who doesn't know what Tashima Art Museum is, so it's um, an art museum done by an artist architect architect duo in Japan's Seto Island. So I guess you could think of it as an introspective space. So it's literally like a like a concrete sphere. If you enter, it's like a little orb with two holes on top. Have you been there? I've been there. I've fucking loved oh, it. Oh my fucking god! Love Tashima. So you should have just told me that. Like, Dude, obviously you brought Tashima Museum. No, yeah. So there's like two holes on top of the, um, on top of the building. What do you call it? Building the sculpture. Sculpture. The sculpture, right? Yeah. Where you can actually see like the nature scape outside. So you can hear even hear the sounds that was echoing outside, and there were like water droplets on the floor that was just really poignant and just slowly dripping and everything inside the space was just echoing within the space itself so when I was there actually I had a very cute experience because there was a little girl she was probably like three or four years old and she was just running around everyone was really quiet right but she was running around she was just laughing really loudly and I think in any space you would probably find it annoying but her laughter just echoed in a way within the space that it felt really magical and just felt so innocent and yeah that was beautiful that was a great experience everyone should go to Tashima Museum it's powerful 
yeah, somebody have went through that, you know, so she knows exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about. I'm kind of glad, you know. No, my friends and I, we always joke that Toshima Museum is like a pilgrimage because we go there and you experience different things and you just feel, I, I think it provides you the space to, to think within yourself and to just hear the voices within. So yeah. it, it really brings you into the place of nature, um, yeah. especially when we are so, you know, out of touch, you know, mm. with the world, the natural world, uh. you know, because, you know, of the kind of conditioning in the material world that we have to fulfill certain roles, responsibility and duty, yeah. you know, that, you know, we end up chasing after the rat race, after chasing after all sorts of expectations, you know, even though the expectation doesn't belong to you. Mm. Like your, your mother, your father, you know, your brother, your sister, you know, kind of imposes you, your boss imposes you. Yeah. yeah, all the external world thing. But, you know, that was how, you know, I realized that, you know what, it could be that precious, you know, to people. If only people could get a glimpse of, you know, who they truly are, what really matters to them, would they still lead the life that they have been always living? Mm. What if, you know, there's a higher path for them? Mm-hmm. No religious context or whatsoever, but, you know, really a higher path of, you know, them pursuing their higher self, where they can become bigger than who they truly are and to actualize what is really real inside of them. Mm. And there's that. So if I were to use a very huge word to describe what the hell I'm trying to do, I'm trying to awaken life. And that has been something that has been consistent throughout my entire life. Mm. So do you think that is also the principle that governs every piece of work that comes out of this connect? Because I, I realise you guys work a lot with pairing strangers together and you know putting them in, in what would seem like very awkward situation in a normal situation, right? Like just getting two people to share the most vulnerable thoughts they have, getting them to stare at each other for like 12 <laughs> minutes, right? Or... You know, just putting them under the sky to talk about what they're feeling right now. Like, what's the idea behind it? What What's with the obsession with strangers? <laughs> Taking a big mouth of water. <laughs> Why strangers? Yeah. Think about it this way, you know, connection. If I was to ask you to connect with yourself, you know, most people is going to get jammed. Mm. I mean, hello, when was the last time you even touched yourself and feel yourself bare, naked, mm. in your own skin? And the very ironic thing is this, the moment I talk about this, you know, a lot of people will raise eyebrow. Mm. You know, they will have, you know, funny ideas for that. But I'm really saying, you know, can you be in your own skin? Can you be comfortable being you? And it's kind of a luxury to the point that, you know, people no longer talk about it anymore. Because, you know, we kind of put everything as a priority, all the external thing as a priority. But when we come to ourselves, you know, we don't really give ourselves that space mm. to really reflect, to really feel, to really think, you know, to really act upon what really matters. Right. And, you know, think about it this way. Imagine there's a piece of shit in front of a computer table. Uh-huh. It's brown, you know, it's turning, you know, spiraling upwards. Sure. All right? You pull on a beautiful carpet over it. Mm. Is the shit still there? Oh my god, a bizarre analogy. Yes, the shit is still there. You know what? The shit is still there. Yeah. But you know what? Some people think that it's not there anymore. Mm. Just because you pull on a beautiful carpet, you think that you don't have to face your truth. Now, let me just say something. Whatever the, you don't deal with, someday they will come back and haunt you. Sure. The thing is, you don't know when. Mm-hmm. You don't know where. You don't know how. You don't know what. You don't know when. And sometimes when they come back, they do come one after another. It's an assumption of that. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, it comes in lumps. They come in gangs like packs. <laughs> And that's one of the reasons why people can't cope with it. That's why people start experiencing breakdown. Mm. Because they are not ready for that because they've been running away from all their issues. They don't have the capacity or bandwidth to deal with them. True what? I mean, 
because you don't have capacity or bandwidth, that's why most people avoid yeah. or you know put them aside. Those are all defenses, psychological defenses. Nothing wrong with that. But you, we're going to realize that whatever that we don't deal with, you know what, they're still there. Mm-hmm. No matter how great the title that you put, how much mass that you put onto yourself, you know what, it doesn't change the fact that the things that you didn't deal with is still down there. Mm. The lessons that were meant to learn is still not learned. The wisdom that was meant for you to take away from, for you to overcome so that you can create the next breakthroughs of your life is still not fulfilled. Now, you know what's the best part? Once or twice in your life, you know, you could smell the shit because it stings. Mm-hmm. So even with the beautiful carpet, other senses might come and alert you, hey, something's down there, something's down there. So, you know, the internal is very, 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 very complex thing. Yeah. And unless we learn to hear ourselves, to know who we are, you know, it's you can really get lost in that map, to be honest. And that's why, you know, a lot of people lose themselves. And, you know, think about it this way, for people who commit suicide, think of it this way. Now, do you really think that they have clarity in that moment that they were really committing suicide? Do you really think that they have the clarity to see the consequences of committing suicide? No, they don't. Now, in that moment, you know, all they saw was four walls of shit. And all they really wanted to do is to get out of it. And the only thing that they knew is ending their life. They didn't know what ending their life really, really, really means. Doesn't matter whether you're an adult or not. Doesn't matter whether you're a kid or not. Real-time issue. Real-time issue, especially when, you know, we're not able to ask for help because nobody is here to really support us mm. and we're not really equipped enough you know, to solve our own shit. But what if, you know, there's a way out? What if people have the awareness that there's a way out that they can turn their head to, they can turn their heart to? What if committing suicide wasn't a choice or rather wasn't the only choice that they had? And that's one reason why I'm pushing on disconnect treading worse. Now, I want people to know that it is possible for people to connect among strangers. Mm. Let's start with strangers because, you know, that's the most straightforward thing when we talk about connection. Connection with another person. Let's talk about that first. Now, as you work on your relationship with another person, you begin to realize that you must have a relationship with yourself because how you act upon in a relationship is nothing more but a reflection of what's inside of you, which is aka your relationship with yourself. Then after that, let's talk about your relationship with your world. You know, some people link it to faith. You know, some people link it to, you know, the natural world. Some people link it to, you know, the higher dynamics, mm. you know, that we talk about in physics. So it's really that. So if I were to ask you, you know, to think about, you know, what really matters to you in a relationship, you know, you probably have 100 things to tell me about your ideal panelist. No problem. What, what if I ask you about yourself? Who do you want to be five years from now? Who do you want to be 10 years from now? What would you like to do in your life? Mm. What kind of purpose would you be serving or fulfilling? What would you be having as a manifestation? What kind of knowledge would you know? And, you know, because, you know, you have to own your knowledge from an ownership point before you can act upon something. How and what kind of difference would you be able to create as a change in this world? Mm. How do you want to leave a legacy? So a lot of those kind of conversations, you know, will start popping up. 
And, you know, it's easy to say that, you know, we don't want to live a life with regrets. But yet most people live their life with regrets. Especially when they keep finding opportunities not to do the things that matter to them. There's too many distractions. Too many distractions. But yeah. you know what? Remember this. You're the one that who give power to your own distraction. Mm-hmm. You were the one who let yourself down. It is your life. You didn't take control over it. You let other people run your life. Then mm-hmm. whose responsibility is that? Your mom, your dad? Or maybe it's yourself. Mm-hmm. So the question is, you know, are you willing to own your life? Which is such a fucking difficult question because you can be 56 years old. But yet you know nothing about ownership. Right. Because in your whole life, you've been finding reason to justify why your life is so fucked up. Mm-hmm. Now, pardon my language, you know, but, you know, I really, 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 you know, it's not going to hold back, you know, for mm. one simple reason, because many people need to hear this. Mm. If you don't present the truth to them, you know what? People continue to live in that delusion thinking that it will be okay. Just because you wake up the next day, all your problem will be disappeared. Just because you're depressed, you start sleeping and your problem will be all solved when you wake up. No, it's not that. Mm. And I know how painful sometimes things can be because I myself am walking on the path. I'm still working on myself too. So, you know, this quest itself, you know, demands a lot of courage. Do you have the courage to face your fears? Do you have the courage to jump down your rabbit hole? Mm. You know, at least in the Wonderland, the rabbit hole. Yeah. You know, it's dark. Yeah. It's full of uncertainty. It's filled with unknown. Mm. You don't know what's inside there. But yet, you know something is inside there. But you know what? As you walk closer to it, it's going to feel familiar to you. Because whatever you're going to find inside there, it's still going to be a part of you. The question is this. Do you have the courage? Do you have the self-love to jump into your own rabbit hole so that you can uncover who you truly are and what really matters inside of you? Not just the light of you. You know, people always talk about love and light. Mm. Nah, fuck that. We're talking about your shadows. We're talking about your demons. The things that you were always afraid of that you didn't have the courage to face it. Because remember this, they're still going to be a part of you. Yeah. And part of that journey is really that. It's not really about all love and light, you know, that kind of shit, positive, you know. Look, it's the same thing as the happiness, sadness thing that I gave an analogy. So, where where are we? Strangers. We're talking about strangers. Strangers, all right. So strangers, you know, connection, you know, it it brings people into, you know, it's it's a very entry point. Mm. So a lot of this works, you know, that, you know, we put up together. It's not really therapy work. Yeah. All right, it doesn't solve it. You should just be watching it. I'm going to just make it upfront. But it gives you awareness work. Yeah. It gives you awareness of where you're at in your life, what really matters to you, how deep is your connection. Now, for example, is it really possible? Okay, one of the things that people always think of is, you know, you need to know a person for 10 years before you really know who they are. What if 10 minutes is all that you have? Can you still know them for who they are? Can you be present in the moments instead of getting stuck in your head and being fixated about your own expectation, about your own shit? Mm. Right? You know, can we actively listen? Can we hold space for one another? Can we co-create a safe space? And ultimately, we want people to question this. What does it mean to be a human being? Mm. So part of it is really about getting them to be in touch with their emotions, to be in touch with, you know, who they think they are. And, you know, how they act upon their life. So on that, right? Because the idea of holding space for someone is a very delicate thing, mm. right? And I think in a lot of the work that you guys do, it's a very delicate space, mm. you know? So how do you ensure that it's done safely? 
you know, because everyone's probably at a different stage of their self-discovery or self-learning in that sense. So how do you ensure that when you're putting two strangers or even more than two strangers in the same room, that they feel that space is safe enough for them to talk about it? Or does it actually come quite naturally? That, that process I'm very curious about. You have a strange <laughs> smile on your face. Well, because, you know, it's really, really difficult. You know, I can't guarantee that other people can, other people can do it, like, to be honest. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, the stuff that I'm doing, you know, look, to be honest, you know, it can be easily copied. Mm -hmm. So easily copied. Just copy, lo. Yep. But, you know, you won't get the same outcome as, you know, what uh, what we did. So there's a lot of intention, intensity that's being put into it. You know, a lot of things are handled very impeccable. Mm -hmm. so you know for example you know i feel you there's a certain projection you know where you know there's you know green screen you know of rain you know, coming up those were done intentionally as well it's not just purely aesthetic mm. so you know i kind of know how to work with spaces all that so you know that gives me an advantage right so part of it got to do with you know morphic field or that electromagnetic wave you know even as per we are interacting right now you know our energies are also interacting mm -hmm. So part of it got to do with a lot of that. But co-create safe space, you know, if there's one thing that I can pass it down to people, it's really this, are you really present? Mm. Can you really be here for the other person? And that's that. We talk about just that first. We didn't talk about the complex stuff. Right. You look bored. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just processing. There's just a lot of things to process. Shit. Do I overdo it? <laughs> no, it just feels like it's a, it's a live coaching session slash interview, but it's all good. It's no, this is definitely not life coaching. So <laughs> I haven't coached you at all. Good. Oh, no, don't worry about it. Got it. No, no, no. But one thing I'm very interested in mm. as well, because Queen is a photography. Correct. He's a uh, she's a photographer. Student. Yeah, he's a yeah. photographer, right? And you, you yourself, you have quite a diverse background. So, yeah. what inspires your work when the two of you come together? Well, well. If I were to look at one thing, you know, part of why we're doing what we're doing, there's a common alignment. And that common alignment is, you know, we want to create works, you know, that give healing to people. Mm. They give more healing and more awareness and more conscious to people. So there's that. Mm. But, you know, both of us have an interest of looking to ourselves, of wanting to work on ourselves. Mm. For example, resolving traumas, you know, which, you know, a lot of those things, you know, come from, you know, union psychology. Kao Yong, you know, one of, you know, yeah. this disciple of Simon Freud, you know, he talks about dream works, you know, those kind of stuff, omens, traumas, collective unconsciousness, consciousness, all that. So a lot of the works that we do um, are really based on, you know, some of these lineages, you know, um, even, you know, the work that, the transformational work that, you know, I was exposed to, that I exposed him to. Mm. So... So it comes from everywhere. It really comes from everywhere. It really comes from multiple disciplinary, even my background in architecture as mm. well. So that's why it's called multi multi multimedia multidisciplinary art and mental health exhibition. I see. All right, but I want I, I want to say something not to offend you know any people you know. We also wanted to also make art, you know, more. We wanted to use art, you know, to reach out to the public. Mm. I don't know whether it makes sense or not, but to make, you know, to make public, you know, to be more receptive towards art as well. No, for sure. Actually, one of my questions was, why use art as a medium to talk why about Why use art as a medium? Health? Well, because, you know, I don't want to tell you what your life should be and what your life should not be, you know, put art. Uh. <laughs> 
Okay, yeah, that's a really, really bad one. Um, when I say art, you know, partly also because, you know, art consists of multi-dimensional. It allows people to be open. It's a very open-ended thing. Mm. People can understand what they understand, which is perfect, which is aligned to, you know, what we're trying to do, you know, in the first place. Like I told you, you know, it's, I don't want to be, you know, your teacher, your educator, you know, me telling you what you should do, what you should not do, like your mom or your dad. Mm. All right, so all this projection authority figure will come into mind. I don't want any of that, but I want to create a work that really um, can hit as many people as possible. And a work that have the potential to really reach out to people and tap into their personal experiences and to show them what their life can be. Mm. What does it mean to live a conscious life? What does it mean to have conscious connection? What does it mean to be fulfilled? Yeah, That's that. And, you know, it just resonated with us. Mm. because that was our background too mm. and you know being exposed to many things you know I felt that that was one of the most effective way and of course you know we also want to deal with certain stigmas around art as well especially in Singapore yeah especially in Singapore <laughs> I really don't talk about that because it really will offend you know certain communities in Singapore too no, I agree I think I think art in Singapore is very misunderstood term in many ways but then again you know for something to be misunderstood there must be always two way just like in the relationship mm -hmm. it's always a two way thing yeah I mean it's it's been very perennial so but has there been I guess because the the, the the whole premise of what you guys are working with right people and art which is very subjective in that sense is very open ended Right. Has there been any one of your work that did not come out the way you wanted or just completely surprised you? Whether it's an outcome or the process or, I don't know, reception of it. Well, technically speaking, you know, I feel you, you know, the outcomes has been very, there has been variables of the outcome. Mm. So even though the condition, look, the condition had to be tight. Mm. It's like, a, you know, I don't use the experiment, but you know, it can, you can say it's an experiment, yeah. but it's not really an experiment because I know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah. So it's really about putting you know people to come and talk about their personal truth, and that was it. Mm -hmm. And that was that. So you know, anything could have come out from it. Yeah. You know, but because it's it's within a short period of time, you know, I know for sure. You know, in my practice, that you know, it wouldn't open up a can of worms. Yeah. Because those people are not trained either. So when they are talking, you know, they are re it's really just human and human it's connection. Stream of consciousness. Huh? It's like stream of consciousness a little bit, no? They're just like, fun. Correct. Oh, right. Correct. And, you know, some of them didn't even know how they open up so quickly. Yeah. You know, mm. but because the experience was deep and, you know, they were kind of put into the right space, you know, I think that could be possible. So that was that. Um, tipping point, you know, is one of the films that I have a lot to say because it took me about seven nights to piece them together. Mm -hmm. um, it was that complex. I didn't sleep for seven nights just to piece that. And a lot of the, f a lot, most of the footage down there, you know, for taping point was all shot within one day, and it was during the first day of Chinese New Year last year. Wow. Okay. Every single thing. Right. Every single footages. Wow, that's exhausting to blow so many balloons in one day. <laughs> well, you know, you know the the person you know received the instruction you know for me you know blow the balloon. That's it. Okay. So he was just constantly blowing the balloon, blowing the balloon, you know. Uh, you know, it was really my first time, you know, getting my hands on the camera, you know, all that kind of shit. Mm. And, you know, I was just, you know, looking for all that signs, you know, of what we need to capture to make that masterpiece. Mm. Um, of course, you know, there's more work to be done. Uh, mm. You know, it's really just one piece of work. Um, but that took really a lot of intensity. Even as we were editing, you know, the process, you know, was still maintained. Yeah. The integrity of the work is still whole tightly. 
You're very excited about Tipping Point, I can tell. For anyone who wants to know what we're talking about, you should just go to the website, disconnect.today. Right? Disconnect.today. Yeah. You can check out our Facebook page and Instagram page as well. Mm. It is actually more active. Okay, plug. Go check out their social media. Yeah. And, so, mm, mm. Sorry, no, because I was, I was going to ask about the art and music therapy workshops. You guys uh-huh, also Okay, run, okay. Right? The Mental Health Webinar Series. Yeah, because I know besides the show itself, you guys also do like all these different workshops and do calls for participants to do that. Like, How has that been? so far like what is it about well the receptive has been really 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 great mm. you know we have you know people from people like you know um, you know people like 50 plus years ago you know participating in mm. those workshops as well so basically as i told you one of the intention of you know starting this platform is really to really together the mental health professionals mental health organizations you know really always of them, you know in those practices to come together so that we can look into mental health from different angle and perspective yeah so we look into the perspective of art therapy music therapy because they work with people at another level yeah. we look into you know psychotherapists you know social worker counselors from that perspective as well mm. so you know next coming week you know we're going to run something together with sos mm. so actually it's this week SOS. we're going to run something with sos and silver ribbon right. on saturday and sunday What's it going to be about? Uh, you know, with SOS, we're going to talk about suicide. Mm. We're going we're gonna to talk about deeper understanding about suicide itself. So it wouldn't be that deep because it's a, it's a one-hour webinar. Right. It's online, you know. Then with Silver Ribbon, we're just going to talk about workplace mental health. Right. So there's that. Um, but I think that, you know, one of the things that we also want to look at is men's mental health, which is often, often underrated. Mm. Um, but if you look at the statistic, you know, 66% of the suicide rates in Singapore, they are all men. Oh. These are all statistics that you can find in the SOS website. Mm. That's that. And there needs to be more awareness down there. There needs to be more conscious conversation, not just noises, mm. but real direction, you know, that leads people to gain more clarity. Now, I, I stand for truth. I don't stand for, you know, noises. Yeah. You know, empty vessels make the most noise. You know, we can't know that. So that's that. And I think one of the things we also need to look at is at the strategic level, you know, how can we create um, how can we create more processes, you know, how can we create more policies that really um, benefit people, you know, generally when it comes to support. Mm. You know, one of the things, the stigmas that we want to overcome is asking for help. Yeah. You know, most people, because of the stigmas that already exist in our society for a long time, you know, most people are not free to ask for help. They are not free to look for help as well because, you know, going to IMH, going to this kind of therapies, you know, there's a certain level of shame behind it. Stigma, yeah. Because of all these stigmas. Mm. And it has been passed down very well. So, you know, part of it is really about, you know, stopping this and we have to really allow people to be more open and creating that safe space yeah. among strangers as well. So one of the things that, you know, I, I thought about, you know, just now outside, you know, with you, you know, was this. What if, you know, we can look into insurance? Mm. where, you know, there can be mental health insurance, for example. Totally, man. Correct. What if, you know, the resources, you know, when it comes to the budget, you know, more can be put onto mental health yeah. and also suicide prevention. Yeah. But there's one thing that really puts me off, you know, last I know last year mm. was that, you know, if a person were to commit suicide, you know, their death on this death certificate is actually the cause of unknown is unnatural death. Mm. So, you know, if we don't have clarity of the exact numbers, and what the hell is going on, mm. it's going to be always a blur. Yeah. So I think a lot of the things from the ground level, even as policy makers, you know, we have to look into all these things. Sure. Definitely. So that people have the accurate, precise information of where are we really at. Yeah. And, and what needs to, to be done. Mm. Definitely. No, I... Why I get sued, you know, if I... 
<laughs> no, I I think it's all factual and fair because there is really a lot to be done in Singapore because it's such a young topic, strangely, right? It's so prevalent in all of us, but yet it's such a young conversation that we're having in Singapore. Like, literally, my friends and I, when we talk about mental health and we talk about therapy and all of that, it's actually quite difficult to find resources around it in Singapore unless you have friends who... You know, they've personally gone through it and they can share like anecdotes with you or like um, context and whatever. But it's just really difficult. Um, it's not a very open area for Singaporeans to talk about. So what would your advice be? If Singaporeans really want to know more about it, like whether it's for myself, whether it's for someone I know, whether I'm just curious about what I can do more um, around mental health for myself for anybody like well, where do we start where do we start <laughs> well let me just be biased you know come for the main exhibition <laughs> alright it's happening at one new road you know from 17 December you know there's um, all the way to 30th January there's still 10 more days to go yeah. and you know the exhibition is right now you know we really reached out to more than 2,000 of visitors already so far mm. I'm waiting for you to come down so that I can host you around 2001 <laughs> and what else um, okay. you know we are also available at satellite venues you know showcasing selector works but the real deal is still at one new road it will give you a different experience but of course you know um, you know on our website you know we also stand for a certain organisation as well yeah. um, who are also doing a lot of those initiatives as well and you know we want to collate all these resources together mm. so I think SOS you know Silver Ribbon these are great place you know to go to because they have really great counsellors who are trained mm. therapies as well yeah. and you know some of these people really really do it you know from a space of love because you know they really want to help people. Mm. And, you know, despite, you know, how the system might have failed them, they never give up. Mm. So that was something that really inspired me as I interact with these people as well. Right. And, you know, one of the different phase, the next phase of the project that we're looking at is um, for the phase three of our project, you know, we're going to run this thing called Mask of Singapore. Mask of, of Singapore. Masks of Singapore. Not this mask, not the COVID the mask, but talking mask. about face mask. Okay, The paper mache mask, you know, from the past. Mm -hmm. So... You know, this mask, you know, we all wear a mask on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Whether you recognize it or not. All right, just think about it this way. You don't act the same in your public world or rather public life versus your private life versus your secret life. Yeah. We wear different masks. We have versions. And yeah, <laughs> to function in the material world, you know, sometimes all it takes is for us to put on one mask. Yeah. And just do your job well, do your function well, that's it. But it's because of that, Okay, think about it this way, from a mathematical point. We have 24 hours a day. Mm. One third of our energy on our day-to-day -day life force we are being poured into our day-to-day -day work, yeah. productive work. Alright? Now, the other one third, you know, I mean, if you love your work, you know, you will gain a lot of energy. Yeah. So, by then, you know, you could either channel it to your work or other areas of life. But for most people, you know, if you're in a job that you don't love, by then you're draining and tired really. So that's one of the reasons why people, you know, started watching Netflix mm. to fill up that emotional hole, you know, that they have. Yeah. No, because we are drained. No, and yeah. that's one way to fuel that. Yeah. Then the remaining one thing, you know, most of the time, the eight hours we use it to sleep. Yeah. So the whole day repeats itself and cycle. Now, think about it this way. So more than one third to two thirds of the time you actually spend on to your work. Mm. Now, as a result of that, most people carry that as their job title as they are part as of their, their identity. Title, Correct. Yeah. So if you go to a networking event, you ask them, you know, hey, can you tell me more about you? You know, they would obviously tell you about their job. Yes. Hi, I'm a banker. Yeah. Now let me, let me imagine this. Think about it this way. What if this banker who has worked 16 years in his bank, who called himself a banker, would suddenly lose his job because of the current pandemic crisis? What do you think happens with him? Yep. Identity crisis. Fuck. Yeah. First, loss 
Second, that emptiness will hit him. You know, that uncertainty is going to hit him. You know what? It's a major identity crisis. You don't know who you are anymore. Mm. But we have to come to recognize and have the awareness to recognize that this mask that we put is only one part of it. And if you were to take out all the mask, you strip away all the mask, you know, who are you? Mm. What is your true self? And you know what really matters to you and who you really are. And part of this mask making workshop, this three-hour mask making workshop is that we're going to run to different communities of Singapore. You know, we're going to go heartlands, you know. We're really going to go to different communities, you know, to reach out to the public. Mm. And the best part is, you know, these workshops are designed, you know, even for housewife, children, youth, you know, even 60 plus elderly, you know, that kind of stuff. Anybody mm. can participate. It's really for all walks of life. Right. And we're going to use, you know, we're going to weave it in with facilitation and art and craft, you know, some life coaching stuff, you know, to get them to explore deeper, you know, of who they are. Mm. Again, this is not therapy work. We can't resolve a trauma using all of this thing. It's only three hours. Come on. Mm. There's really a lot to unpack about your whole life. Yeah. All right. But this will give you certain clarity of who you are. And, you know, and that's that. And we're going to teach you this photography, you know, to get them mm. um, to do something about it. And our goal is very simple. We want to make 500 months within six months. And we want to set the international record with the most number of people participating in a community engagement project to raise awareness of mental health. Mm. So that's one of my intentions. Right. Right, that we are really pushing towards, you know, right after this exhibition. So the exhibition doesn't really end on 30th January because, you know, just a few days ago, you know, we got the news that City Humanistic Youth Centre, which is one of our current satellite venue, they want to bring our full exhibition from one new road down there mm. for the next six months. Nice. So we're going to run, you know, Master Singapore in conjunction with the exhibition is happening in City. Right. Correct. That's great. Correct. But of course, you know, this is really, really, really a small thing. Yeah. Really, it's just, just start. Correct. If you really want to create a real change, it really takes a lot of work, and it takes everybody to come together. For sure. Yeah, but I think it's a step in the right direction. So, thank you for the hard work that you and Queen have been doing. I think it's very necessary for us to have these conversations and to be exposed to these ideas in the world we are in right now. Of course, you know, it's the same thing, you know. If a person is ready for the truth, you know, they will be able to see the truth. Mm. If a person is not ready, then, you know, they are not ready. But if I can create something like a platform or even works, you know, that let them see what they have to see in whatever life stage they are in, I think that's amazing. Mm. Mm. And it, people can have a choice to choose for themselves. It's like sowing the seed in their mind. Yeah. Mm. Who knows, 10 years, something might, you know, just pop yeah. in again and they are reminded of that moment and it brings them into a certain state mm. where they start looking for the real stuff. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. This has been a very interesting conversation. So, to wrap up, right, I ask all of my guests one question. Jeez, you mean it's really two hours? It's an hour and 20 minutes. Wow. <laughs> Thereabouts. It's been a while. There's no script or whatsoever. <laughs> what the hell? Well, you have plenty to share, so that's that's great. So anyway, so this so this podcast is called the Potluck Club. So at the end of the interview, I always ask everyone, "What would you bring to a potluck dinner if you were invited to one?" So, what is your answer to that? It's completely irrelevant to what we've talked about, but it's just fun. <laughs> Sorry, can you repeat again? Okay, what would you bring to a potluck dinner? Must it be food? Ideally, <laughs> or it can be anything, whatever you want. A dose of th- truth. Well, a dose of wisdom, okay. like you say. I like. I like it. A dose of truth. 
Okay. So you're going to come to a dinner and say, "Hey guys, I'm going to drop my dose of truth." <laughs> well, I can whip up some meal, you know, I, even though I, you know, I can whip up some meals that's good enough. Okay, to go with it. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right, thank you, Ming Guang. Thank you again for coming on to the show. It's been very illuminating um, to hear about the work that you've been doing. So everyone, please check out the exhibition. Um, Disconnect Threading Words is still happening at One New Road till 30th of January. And then it's going to move to Tsuji. Where is it at? It's at Yishun. Yishun, Yishun it's really far. But go on, go on to Yishun thereafter. But stay tuned for what they have in Space 3 and just go and check the, their work out. It's been really impressive. Thank you for having me, Huyen. No, no worries. Thank you. We'll see you back again. Bye.